my wife and I are Kenyans. The Lord called us to go to Ghana in 2010 to go and do holistic ministry. But previous to that, we had been in missions for since 1992. Uh, we worked among the Somalis in Kenya and Somalia. And then we worked in a children's home. But in 2005, uh, the Lord changed our understanding of how to do missions. We had been pioneer missions for long. But during that time, we met a mentor who introduced us in a way of empowering other believers to be able to go to do ministry. And it was a very difficult change for me because I was used to doing things for myself or being in charge. But she challenged us you know, to go back to the Somalis and look for Somali believers and train them to reach out to their own people. And I remember that time I refused to cooperate with her because she was a very close friend. I told her, look, what you're talking about, I've been, already, I've been doing it for years. But she told me, okay, you just go for the training and then we'll give you one lesson to teach. So I, I know myself, I went to, for that training to learn, but the hook she gave me was, you go and teach one lesson. And I went for that training for uh, 10 days that was the minister. The ministry was called Life in Abundance. Uh, some of you may know the ministry. So during that time, I remember as I saw uh, churches being trained on how to do holistic ministry, I started understanding what I was missing. It, I had never learned how to integrate everything. How do you integrate the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, without struggling in your heart whether I should do works? or whether I should share the gospel. Now for us, among, working among Muslims, those are a, bit, a big issue, because sometimes we go there, and people say, you know, let's just do good works, they will know Jesus loves them. But you see, the gospel says, as you live with people, you also need to do what? To share the gospel. So it was at that time in 2005 that I went through that change. And then later I had to convince my wife, because she's a nurse and a midwife, and I think for her, it took almost three years for her to be convinced. She went through the training, she struggled, and she came at home and said, why are we training people like this? Why can't we just do and do the work instead of struggling with them? But you see, this is the whole point of this session. That missions has changed. And uh, I've had the privilege of going to May, several African countries, you know, uh, eight countries in East Africa, uh, East Africa region, and then West Africa in Ghana and Burkina Faso. Now, what has happened over the last few years, because of missionary efforts, we have people who have come to know Christ in many people groups. There may be few, there may be many, but the Holy Spirit has really been working all over the world. And I started understanding that one of the ways to be very effective is to go back Look for believers in those communities. Train them because they already know the language, they know the culture. And give them the skills so that and the knowledge they can go back and reach their people. And then secondly, things change very fast. Those days you know, we used to have issues of terrorism. Now, for us, like we can't go back to Ghana because of Ebola. Kenya is like 5,000 kilometers from West Africa. So the Kenya government has said you cannot go back, you have to wait. But we thank God that although we cannot go back, the team we raised up in Ghana continues the ministry. And they are doing very, very well. They also cannot come out because the borders have been closed not to restrict people to travel. So I just wanted to share with you how 
when we went to Ghana, what we went through to be able to equip these churches. Uh, this is northern Ghana among the Muslims. So that these churches will be strong enough to help their people whether we are there or not. Uh, before we begin, I just want to show you a small clip. You'll see, especially the medical part, uh, this is a training session where they were trained by dentists and doctors. And then from there, I'll continue. Okay, we'll stop there. I wanted to show you, this was a training where a team of dental uh, and medical doctors from Empower team came to help us to get started in 2010, in 2011. So they trained, we identified people in the local community where we had, been, we had prepared the church before they came so that they, they equipped lay dental workers, lay medical workers, and then our responsibility was to help them to set up systems, a structure so that this clinic should be able to run whether we are there or not. So normally what we do is we engage a church for three years, a group of churches. So in Ghana we took, we worked with ten churches and we took them through a process of training where first of all we envision them. We come and share with these churches, look, you may be in a poor community, you may be struggling with issues, but the Lord wants to use you to reach your own people. Because many times when people go to a poor community, they want to do things for them. You know, we look at the poverty and say that this is too much, let's help them. But when you do that, you take away one of the greatest gifts the Lord has given people, that is dignity. People don't want things, always to be doing things for them. So our responsibility was to go in and make sure that we start preparing these churches. There are, there are two scriptures that, among many others, that motivate us in our work from Joshua chapter 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, Joshua 1, 6 is a very personal scripture to me where the Lord told Joshua, be strong and courageous for you are able to lead these people to possess the land I saw to give their forefathers. What the Lord told Joshua is, I want you to lead people into their inheritance. The inheritance is much more than just sharing the gospel. It's going beyond that, share the gospel, disciple them, and give them the opportunity to be able to serve. If they can't serve, they have not entered their inheritance. And another, if you read the rest of the chapter, Joshua challenged the other leaders, you know, I like, I like saying this scripture that when you go in to help these people, you cannot come out until they succeed. That is verse 14 and 15. He said, you are going to fight, you are going to cross the Jordan, you have to stay there until those tribes are able to rest and have peace. Then you can come back. And people say it took seven years for those tribes that crossed the Jordan to fight and help the rest of the tribes to inherit. And that's the same thing when you go to these communities. We don't want to go in and rush in and come out. We want to go in on a commitment that we will work with them, we will encourage them in different aspects of ministry until they're able to stand on their feet. And the question we are trying to answer here, how can a short-term team when you go to a community, a medical team, empower them and enable them to start a holistic ministry? 
what are the things you need to prepare. And I'm thinking of here of students, you know, maybe the Lord is calling you to missions or to be involved. While it's good to, for you to go there and do your ministry, the greatest impact will come when you're able to empower those people you have met so that they do the work. The first thing we did was, when we went there in 2010, we got 10 churches and we envisioned them. Envisioning, we call them for a one-day seminar where we teach them and encourage them that the Lord can use them to share the gospel, to disciple their fellow believers and demonstrate the love of God in a very practical manner. Now, it's a whole day of discussion. We use adult teaching methods. We let them ask questions. Because when I went to Ghana, they were trying to weigh me whether I'm real or not. Uh, whether you came to, you know, sometimes you go to a new community, they want to know, did you just come for work or to benefit? Or did you really come to help us? So that we give them an opportunity to ask those difficult questions. And then at the end of the day, we ask them, if you're willing to walk this journey with us, we want you to go back and choose four other people in the church and prepare them to come for a 10-day training. Now, because of farming in the community, we can't do 10 continuous days. We do 10 days, so we did over three months. Every weekend we'll meet and train them different aspects. So it was around 54 lessons. And during this time, the first thing we deal with is to deal with their minds. That they have to come to a full understanding that the Great Commission can be done. So we, 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 we talk with them the details. What did Jesus mean? Go and make disciples. What will it mean in this community? We also teach them, you know, Jesus said, love your neighbors. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What does it mean practically to love people with all your strength, with all your mind? There's another scripture we use, uh, Luke 2.52, where it says, Jesus grew in favor with God, in favor with man, in wisdom, and in stature. What does it mean practically? When we see people in the community who are sick, how can we help them? How can we love them? It's not enough just to pray for them. What can we do as a local church to meet those needs? If they are not, the children are going to, not going to school, what does it mean to help these children grow mentally? So during this time, we, we take them through this lesson slowly, slowly. We teach them simple project management systems. And then as we prepare them for this training, we don't do things for them. We, they have to choose the, the people they are going to train. We don't choose for them. Secondly, they have to choose the venue where they want the training to be. It, in Sudan, I remember when we worked in East Africa, it was under the tree. In West Africa, they have to get an empty building. We don't give them money to rent a place, strictly. They have to get money to travel to the venue every day of training. Sometimes they take, there's a pastor who will come for two hours riding his bicycle. Others will carry each other on motorcycles. But this is the only way they can show us that they are committed to this training. Another thing is the pastor has to assure us that they are committed to finish the training. So during the training, we mark a register. Those who don't want, if you miss two or three lessons, we tell you, please stay at home. The reason is we are trying to build accountability and commitment. And then at the end of the 10 days, we give them three assignments to do a seed project. A seed project is why the church uses their own resources to do something practically that will bless their community. Secondly, 
we give them a questionnaire. We tell them go to a household in the community. Ask them questions about their health, mostly health issues. Make sure you feel everything. And then we meet later to evaluate what did they learn. Because what we discovered, sometimes uh, leaders can be in a community, but they really don't know what is happening in the homes. They have no idea. Even in our continent where people are very relational, there are things you just don't know. A child may be sleeping hungry and no one knows, especially in Ghana. Because orphans in the community don't see them. They are taken in by uncles and aunties. But you find out later they are sleeping hungry. They don't go to school. And the third one they have to do is do a spiritual map of the community. They find out how is the Lord working in their community. Where are the evangelical churches that preach the gospel? Where are the churches that don't teach the truth? Where are the false religions? Where are the traditional shrines? The idea is for them to know that if God is going to use them to bless this community, they have to have information to pray. You pray with real facts. Like you find in a community in Ghana, maybe people have places they go to worship idols because it's allowed. They pour food to ancestors. We tell them how to deal with them. They have to bring corporate repentance. They have to repent before the Lord because these are their own people who are busy worshipping idols. What does the Lord think about it? So we tell them they have to repent and pray about it. If they do those three assignments, normally we know they have understood the lessons. So there is no exam. If they don't do those three assignments, they didn't understand. We have to go and repeat. And then the third point is, after we have prepared them through this training, and they have identified their needs, medical needs, their community, then they are ready to bring in a medical team or a dental team to train them. Because now they have a basis to know when this team comes, they will train us to bless our community. And we, during this time, we partner with Empower. Uh, we partner with LIA, where I used to work before. And then ITEC, the, uh, the tools we use are from ITEC and the Southeast Christian Church. And over time, every time a team comes in, they are plugging in in something that is already going on. So they are not coming to tell the church to do things they don't want to do. They have identified these needs. They tell you we want a, a clinic in this community. I remember when I was there, we did analysis. They told you, okay, we need clinics. Every church wanted a clinic. So I took, I told a friend to carry me on a motorcycle. We went to all the ten villages. Took around three weeks to do that. But out of that research, only three communities could have a clinic. Because, you know, you must remember sometimes people feel help is coming outside. All of us should be helped. But the problem is they don't have the capacity to handle the responsibility that comes with that training. Only three communities could handle uh, having a community clinic. So we normally stress that it's important to build partnership with other organizations. I'm not a medical person. My wife is, but I'm not. My, I'm trained in missions and project management. So my work is to help set up structures and systems for the medical teams to be effective. Uh, other, uh, other works you have done through those churches, we have partnered leaders and evangelism, Che West Africa, team expansion, whatever need they have, if we cannot do it, we look for an organization to come and train them. Or we get some of the church members and we send them for that training, and then they come and train their church. Ideally, what you are trying to do is 
to build resourceful people in the community who will be there when I'm when I have gone. So it may be Bible story, discipleship, we get in manuals, we train them, but now they take these manuals and go train other people. So this is a very important point. Because sometimes you can't do everything. Now the students who are selected to come for this training, in partnership with the training organizations, they have to fulfill certain conditions. One, they have to be appointed by the church leadership. We don't appoint them. We tell the church, you go to your church, you know your members very well. Give us people who are born again, who are willing to serve, who can be trained. We are trying to avoid a situation of telling them what to do. Or whom they should choose. Uh, they should know English. Normally, they should, high school graduates know English. They should be able to read and write. And then we take them training where they learn to pray for the sick people, share the gospel, and disciple before the training team of dentists and doctors come in. And then after that, they have been trained. They have finished their graduation. We tell the pastor, now you have to go back and mobilize your own community. You will tell us where the clinic will be. Sometimes they are mobile clinics. Sometimes they are residential clinics. That means they select a place where people can come in the community to be treated. So in Ghana, to avoid uh, startup costs, one of the things we train them during the 10-day training is to identify empty spaces in the community. And there are many. We have schools. We have church buildings. So most of them use now church buildings for the two-day clinics they do every week. We don't want them to build anything. Because once you start telling them to build, you're going to lose them very fast. And the idea is to make sure that they use what you, they have before giving them more resources. So they chose buildings in their communities where these lay workers will go and set up the equipment and treat the patients. Then also the pastors and the leaders have to decide how much the patients will pay. We have uh, uh, four things we deal with. Vital signs, how much will they charge? Wound treatment, how much will they charge? Extractions, how much will they charge? We don't tell them as outsiders. Now we have a government um, cost report, you know how to charge. But we want them to make the decision because if you charge very highly, they will not come to the clinic. If you charge him very low, you will sustain it. So they are the ones to discuss and know how much are they going to pay for it. And then also the medicines. In Ghana, uh, uh, the system is, if you are going to the hospital, the hospitals are supposed to buy medicine or you buy medicine and carry it to hospital. Uh, so it made it very easy for us to be able to set up a place to sell medicine in the clinic. Uh, as a way of generating income and also monitoring our patients that to make sure that they take medicine when it's required. The pastor also has to go and share with the chiefs and the leaders about this ministry. They are the ones who do what you call marketing. They have to go and talk to people. Or we have this going on in our community. Please tell people to come. And in Ghana, when the chief says, everybody goes to that clinic, everybody will go. You, sometimes you use the radio, the local radios, especially when a team is coming in for training, but mostly we let word-of-mouth communication to go on. So the pastor has to take leadership. We don't want to do that. Us as a local partner organization, because we are registered in Ghana, we write official letters to the government, the social welfare department, the health ministry, 
and also we help set up a local board made of professionals. So on our board we have a nurse, we have a teacher, we have an accountant, and the, the clinic is registered by the local government so that they're able to monitor uh, patient records, know what is happening in that community. Uh, they're able to know their financial situation, whether they are sustainable or not, how they need help. All that has to happen through a local board. Uh, I made a decision I'll not be part of the local board. Because I told them, you know, I'm not a Ghanaian, so I'm not planning to stay. So you get us the leaders. And they were begging my wife, please let your wife come. We said, no. We want you to get a nurse from the community. Remember, poor people like shifting responsibility. The one, that, you know, the ones who are educated, those who have it to make the decisions. So make sure you try to avoid, even if you are the best qualified, to sit in that board. It doesn't mean we don't advise them. We advise them, but we are not there to make the final decisions. The other thing we train them, which is very important, is how to do procurement. Where do you buy the medicine? Needed for, needed for different things in the community. Whether it's bandages, whether it's uh, lidocaine for the teeth, whether it's uh, spirit for cleaning. Because different companies sell different things. So we gave them a list of different companies, telephone numbers, and introduced them to the managing director and the other leader so that they can call and order medicine when you're not there. Initially, what you'll do, my wife will do that. And then after that, someday she'll not go to the clinic deliberately and call and say, no, just call so-and-so, you'll send you the medicine. The idea is we are trying to disengage ourselves so that they don't depend on us. Uh, like I said, we had asked the government whether we could set up a, a medicine shop in the clinic. They said, so long as you have a clinic, you should supply your own medicine. So that was very helpful to us, and we were able to determine how much to charge. Like I said, the board has to have the local pastor, because remember, everything is happening under his church. So he has to sit in that board. Sometimes some of the pastors cannot read and write. It doesn't mean they cannot sit in the board. They have wisdom. Because they are already pastors, they are respected. So let them sit there and give contribution. And then, like, it's good to have a bookkeeper or an accountant. Uh, we had a nurse who was willing to help us and other professionals from the community. Now, most of these board members are chosen by the church. We don't choose board members for them. We only give them a criteria that a board member should fulfill the conditions of either being a deacon or a, a New Testament church elder. If you can fulfill those conditions and they are qualified professionally, let them come in. This board is responsible for governance, uh, financial issues when we want to discuss. Like if we want to give them a grant to buy something, we have to go through the board. We cannot just give to the lay workers because these are their leaders. If someone donates medicine, the board has to know because they have to follow up. And the board is also important in speaking on their behalf in the community. Like for us, we have not been in Ghana for since December. But everything is doing well because the board members are able to deal with the government. And then we established a support network. We had nurses who volunteered to be trained by the dentists and the doctors in the lay dentistry. So one volunteered for a long time in the clinic. He'll come once per week just to make sure that everything is doing well. We didn't pay him a salary. He just said he wanted to help. Uh, we also uh, connected them to the major hospital in the area. If they have serious cases, uh, like they cannot remove wisdom tooth unless 
no one can deal with it in the community. They have to refer to the hospital. There are times they have referred and the hospital sends this back. So the teeth has to come out. But ideally, there are some things they are not allowed to do. Um, you also refer them to other training organizations. You'll find other medical groups coming in. We'll send part of our people to be trained by them. This is very important because if we don't have a support network, if they have serious cases, you can't help it. We have had people come in like we check vital signs. Their blood pressure is very high. So normally we'll tell the lay workers, make sure that you call the hospital, get them on a vehicle and take them to hospital straight because you can't do extraction when the blood pressure is very high. Or someone may have fever and he comes, wants to remove a tooth. We tell him, no, you have to go and treat the fever first. Now, since 2010, uh, by the end of last year, we had seen 3,554 patients. We have three community clinics and 18 lay and dental workers have been trained. Um, and like I said, this is very important because things change in the country politically. Like we have contacts in Burkina Faso. At the moment, you can't go in because there's political issues over whether the president should stay or not. And this gets very difficult if you are attached to that program and you can't go back. Uh, one of the things we encourage people, this ministry you cannot be involved in if you are not willing to let go. I normally call it the grace of yielding. The same way when Abraham and Lot were quarreling over land, and Abraham told Lot, please, you go that direction, I'll go this direction. He was the elder, he was the uncle, he had taken care of Lot as a young man, but he told him, you choose first you have to be willing to release the ministry to them. Another one we use to encourage the uh, people to let go is when the two women came to Solomon quarreling over the baby, saying, this is my baby, this is my baby, Solomon asked, okay, I will cut the baby in half. The true mother was willing to yield and say, please don't kill the baby, give the other mother. So we tell people, if this is really a ministry and God gave it to you, one of the things you should be willing is to let go then you know that you are trusting God for the future. And Jesus also told the same thing, you know, those who hang on their lives will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will get it back. So I normally tell people, it's what you give up that you get back. What you hold on, you lose it. And uh, in missions experience, I've seen many ministries collapse, major ministries, in Ghana in Kenya, because People are not willing to let go and empower people to, to run with it. We're using the same strategy of clinics, setting up clinics, training the churches to run everything. In three years, we started 14 schools using church buildings. And these schools, the volunteers are from the community. They are trained. They run the schools. We don't run them. Our work is just to keep on continuous training. We bring in short-term teachers to continually teach them. They have language schools. They run. So the short-term teams just come to empower them and get out. They have planted four churches. They have 16 discipleship classes. And then there's a basketball team that was started two years ago by a short-term team. And we gave conditions, make sure that the training, they're able to continue when you leave. So the idea is this. Once we did in the medical, because the medical part was like our experiment, our pilot program. Once it worked, like the Lord opened our eyes, there are many other ministries we can start using the same concept. So we don't just bring in medical people. We're trying to bring in business people or people who have different skill sets. 
so that they can train these churches to continue their ministry. So, to summarize, if you are interested in this kind of ministry, go in to train. Don't just go and do it. Learn skills of training. Model what you expect them to do. As a disciple of Jesus and as a medical practitioner. Like my wife, when she go to the clinic, you know, you have to teach these people how to pray for patients. So she will demonstrate it every day, working with them. This is how you pray for a patient. This is how you ask questions. This do this how you do a case history. So that they get involved. They're not just giving medicine and out. One of the good testimonies we have in our clinics, especially the one in Tamale, is the patients will go and come back and say, the reason we come back to you people is because you pray for us. In the hospital, they don't. People want to be cared for. People want to be loved. Uh, uh, people don't just want to be used. People want to know that you care for them. So for us, that's a very strong point. And also, uh, develop a, a way of setting up systems, uh, structures. If you can do reading, extra reading. If you have entrepreneurial school, uh, skills, you know, who know how to start businesses. I use my skills in that area because I am not a medical person, but I know how to set up things and to make sure they function well. So that when you go in, you're not just giving skills, you're giving a system or structures. When you leave, they should run after you have left. Thank you. I'll leave it for questions. We have uh, Empower Team is Americans. Um, we have had teams from Southeast. We have a team. We have had a team from Nigeria that came in to do some outreaches and training. They came with a medical team and evangelistic team, and because our churches were trained well, we were able to absorb some of the teams when they came in. Now we found out the churches that have never been trained, they didn't know how to handle Nigerians who came with one, 150 buses. So people are quarreling who's going to do translation. Our churches were ready. We told them, give us two buses, give us the doctors, give us the nurses. We had everything because these lay people have been trained. Uh, last year we had a team that was being trained by Che West Africa. So they wanted to do practicals. So they sent them to our region in the north. And the people from Zambia, Zimbabwe. And we were able to work with them because these churches know how to um, uh, help others to learn, understand holistic ministry. Because we have had different people coming. Okay. Another question? What we normally do, any team coming in, we start the discussion maybe one year before. We tell them our expectations. They have to prepare their group well. And we normally we'll tell them, please, don't just come and do things. Do what you need to do, but pass on your skills. And if it's necessary, if it's a new thing we have never done, 
we will start preparing the churches to receive. Like when we did the basketball, basketball team, we had to get the young people to be ready. The churches had to prepare fields because we, we, we don't give them a single coin. They have to get the field, so they, ha- they go to a primary school. The school agreed to make a playing field properly for basketball. The team brought in balls and a trainer. Our work was to prepare the young men. So we try to make sure that we stay in communication. Whether they are cultural issues, they, we tell them what to expect. Okay? Okay. Okay, in northern Ghana, we don't compete with them. We compliment because when we went in, in the whole, uh, whole region of 2 million people, there's only one dentist. So you can't compete. Actually, the hospital normally sends to us patients because they don't have medicine. Every, there are times you have sent people to the hospital, they tell them, go back. Uh, wound treatment, they don't do it very well. So they'll send them back to the clinic too. Because we have the time to follow up. You know, when you go to a large hospital, no one is going to follow up. If you live 20 kilometers away, once you leave the hospital, that is your problem. But we keep records. We'll call the patients and tell them, make sure you come on this day so that we check your wounds are healing well. Okay. There was another hand somewhere. Like I said, the, one of the points, we, we deliberately work in partnership with other organizations. After being missions for 10 years, 1990s, I came to the conclusion the church has everything we need to fulfill the Great Commission, but we don't work together. And I'm very good in picking good ideas. <laughs> yeah, I'll go and tell someone, give me your manuals, like literacy and evangelism. This was very interesting because they trained me 20 years ago. When I reached in Ghana, 10 years later, they wrote me an email quickly, the president. You have come to Ghana, please can you help our team in northern Ghana? Because the, the country directing that country had never gone to northern Ghana. So I told him, let him come, we'll discuss. We send Ghanaians for them to train. They send someone from USA short term to train them. And then we deploy, because we have churches, we deploy these teams instantly. We started schools within one month. And I remember last year when I came, I met some of their leaders. They were so happy. Because they had never used English, teaching English as a second language for children. They were only done for adults. So one of the leaders, board members, told me they want to introduce to the children. Because in our continent, it's children who want to learn English, not adults. So they say they are going to change the strategy. Okay. So if you get a ministry that has a good idea, we always look at the materials. If it's good, we start discussing, discussing how to modify it. But we'll always get a core group of people we can train who can pass on. If they can't pass it on, we'll not do it. Okay. As a local organization, our responsibility is to follow up. So everything they are trained, we follow up. Like if we have, uh, we had a discipleship team from Southeast, and they left Bible study guides, we go and find out whether they used it or not. 
If they didn't use it, we have a long discussion. Yeah, because we tell them it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Another question? You just mentioned that sustainability. So you have some target or expectation of goals and or a timeline. How do you decide when to continue and when to stop and move to another venue? When we go in the first time, because we have done, we have done this one in East Africa and Sudan, uh, Djibouti, which are Muslim countries, Kenya is a Christian country, so we normally use three years only. When I come in during the divisioning, we'll tell them we'll be here only for three years. If they cannot, sorry. <laughs> we tell them that they have to make sure they learn. Now we have a, a principle we follow. We tell them, if you run, we will run with you. If you walk, we will walk with you. If you sit down, we will leave you there. <laughs> so we, 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 we establish our agreement, the first meeting. Now remember, people want to be dependent on you. Now let me tell you, when we went to Ghana, we were not the first one to train them in holistic ministry. After one year of training, they came, they came and told us, ah, you are teaching us the same thing two other organizations trained us. I asked them, what did you do about it? And I told them, you wasted our money, our time, and our resources. But what happened, these people trained them, but they never followed up. It happened so often. And the reason also we trained five people, in our continent, if you have you know, people train leaders, they target pastors always. So you have a pastor who is always from going from one training to another training to another training. He has a bunch of certificates that he never teaches the church. So we said we don't train the pastor alone. We train the pastor plus five other people. If he has to continue going for his training, we have four other people we can work with. So like, I think they are trained to, I don't know. Okay, another question? Okay. I think after eight years, I've never had a problem. The, the, the one that I was fearful was when I had go back to Somalis, in Somaliland, in Djibouti, to train them. And I didn't know how they would receive it, because in these countries, they, it's closed. They, they, you can't have open church services. So we had to look for believers secretly through missionaries, get them in a house secretly, and train them for seven days and get out quickly. But they were able to receive it. Actually, most of them were saying, this is what we've been looking for. Remember, people want to serve their people. They don't want you to come in every year to do the same thing. Now, you will always find people lining up for help. But like I discovered recently, sometimes they take things and go and sell it. Like it's very common um, in relief and development. You take food like Somalia or Djibouti. They'll come, line up, take all the food, and the next day you'll find it in the market. Because you never brought what they needed. <laughs> because they don't eat what you're bringing them. They don't, Somalis don't eat corn. Okay? So that's a dilemma we say that it is very important to have a, a credible local partner. I didn't go in that, one, that section because sometimes you have to train the local partner to be able to help the churches. And I'm so glad that Southeast Christian Church and Empower, for the first two years, they helped us to build our capacity. 
Because our aim was to leave the Ghanaians running the work. So if we had not trained them again and again, they will not be able to help their churches. At the moment I can say that there's a time I sent them to Burkina Faso, they went and did a very good job. Because they know what to do. They are very effective trainers. They have gained the confidence. So somehow you have to strengthen the local team so that when you come in as a short-term team, they can follow up what you have trained. At the moment, all the three clinics, and these are very remote areas, we cover all the costs for medicine. Uh, we, the only thing we give a small, or they call, we call it pocket money, of $10 per month. Because our strategy is we help these lay workers to do other. No, we don't do medical things alone. We have a business training program. So we have trained some of them to run businesses. It's a holistic approach. So we don't want them to be dependent on the clinic, they have, hus- they have wives or husbands, they have children. So we have taught them farming. We have taught them how to start business to support themselves. Actually, uh, there's a community where they, they had, had a church built by missionaries in the 50s, a very small church sitting 20 people. So we told them we'll train them in business so that they raise money to build a bigger church. And they're building a church sitting 400 people. They have raised $15,000 in the village. Not a single coin from outside. Now remember, our countries are rich. <laughs> we have land, we have resources, but we are not trained how to use it. Africa is very rich. But we don't know farming skills. We don't know how to do business. Uh, and for those who don't go to Africa, Africa has changed. Okay. When here the economy is growing, I mean like a country like Kenya, Kenyans are able to start supporting missionaries very well. Okay. So, when I go back home, when you share a vision, the Kenya says, how can we help you? Because people, are, as education improves, people are learning that they can generate income to support the Great Commission. So our training program has a business component where we train churches in business. It's a very popular program because people want to make money and contribute to the church. Sometimes they don't bring money. They'll bring, like if they harvest maize, 10 sacks, they bring one sack to the Lord, 10%. And then the church has to sell it. And they want, they want to build a church. They have workers, they have carpenters, masons, people who can build, who are willing to volunteer free labor. So that's how they build these two churches. Now, this was a unique experience in the whole denomination. Because the biggest church they had was built by missionaries. These are the first churches they are built with their own labor. Okay? So we tell people, don't come and... Don't come and build churches for us, please. <laughs> come and train us how to build better. But don't come and do paint for us. We can paint. Come and teach me how to paint better. Okay. Even like uh, I've worked in orphan vulnerable children programs. Like in Kenya, in West Africa it's different, but in Kenya we started changing. Instead of just sending money to a child for sponsorship, why can't you empower the family to take care of their child. Because children don't need money. Children need love. So in Kenya, Kenya government is very strict. They are trying to strengthen family units so that they have money. Sometimes they even send cash money to the parents or guardians so they have money to pay for school fees. 
So that's the holistic part. And as you get the child, you're able to get the whole family to be involved. It's a whole change of mind. It takes time, but for me, this is the best work I've ever done. Because when you leave, we sleep peacefully knowing that whether we go back or not, they will always continue the work the Lord gave them to do. Okay. Okay. One more person. Okay. Uh, in Ghana, it's different because uh, medicine is supplied through private companies. So they have to do procurement. In Kenya, we have a, a government supply chain that is supported by US, USA government. And also churches have a supply chain that is separate. So you normally get medicine cheaper in our country than in Ghana. We try to ask in Ghana why they could not have uh, Christians coming together to procure medicine. I think they can't just do it. It's too late. But whether when Christians come together, there are many companies that are willing to supply medicine at an affordable cost. So you find like in our country, going to a Christian hospital or a clinic is much cheaper and better than going to a government hospital because you'll be treated and be taken care of. Yeah. The medical teams normally come for five days. Uh, if it's just a short-term team, I don't advise coming more than ten days if it's a large team. But you know you can go for short-term team as an individual. You go like for an internship for three months, six months. That is possible because you're one or two people. But if it's a team, we say two weeks should be maximum because what is going to happen is uh, moving people around is not easy. We have to hire vehicles, look for accommodation, sometimes team members get sick. So we try to prevent all those things. Normally, if the team is prepared very well, five days is good. And remember that these people we have chosen are ready to be trained. Uh, they are very eager to be trained. Uh, also, when they leave, like uh, we, we used to invite other medical people. My wife will go back and train other subjects. We had a lady from Netherlands. She had done biochemistry, mathematics, so she came and taught uh, toxicology in a simple way to the lay workers and they understood you know how medicine is made how it should be used in the clinic they were able to understand because many people misuse medicine they'll take antibiotics the first day second day when they get where they throw them away so it depends on the uh, team you're working with who are coming in Yes. We found most churches are interested. What we found is in places where dependency is a big issue, most churches don't want to do it this way. Haiti's a good example. Francis has colleagues that are going down there teaching churches holistic ministry and uh, where God has placed the resources in your community to meet the needs in your community. And then there's American churches going down funding pastor salary, building churches, 
repairing churches instead of the Haitians doing it. And uh, those churches have a tough time doing both, right? Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, f- for us, poverty is a dignity issue. It's not about money. Like a good example, like giving, when I'm sharing a meeting like this, people say in Africa people live on one dollar per day. I always ask them, where did you get that? There are people who, who don't have food, but my mom, she passed away two years ago. She never had money because she's in the village. But she had four cows that were producing milk. She had four acres of land. She grew enough food to feed the relatives, but she never had money. So I tell people, it's not a money issue, it's a wealth issue. You know, creating assets that people can use to support themselves rather than just giving them money. And during our training, like Nairobi, we started our training, trying to tell people in a poor community there's a difference between assets and money is a big issue. Because people think if I have money, I'll solve this problem, but the money always runs out. But we tell them what you need is to identify your assets in your household, your skill set, and use what God has given you. So we have a training, we call it, what do you have? And we use scriptures to show them. Moses asked, was asked by the Lord, what do you have in your hands? Jesus asked the disciples, what do you have? Uh, Elisha the prophet asked the widow, her, her husband was a prophet, died and the kids were being to be, going to be sold in slavery. She asked her, what do you have in your house? Uh, Peter was asked in Acts chapter 3, I don't have money today, I don't have silver, but what I have I'll give you. So we tell them we have a lesson where they have to evaluate what they have and start using it. So in our community we do, uh, uh, we borrow this lesson from TFund UK. It's, we, we draw everything, the natural resources they have, the spaces they have, the land they have, uh, the young people are jobless but no good English. Those are a resource. They can be trained to help the kids. So then we see, okay, which area do you need real help? And we realized they don't, sometimes they don't need money. They need training. They don't, they don't need money. Because you give them money and next week they say, I need more money. It, it becomes your responsibility now. These churches, we are very happy. They never call us, we need money. <laughs> because we'll, I'll go back to the lesson and say, hey, Pastor, you have a 90 bag, 19 bags of rice, rice after training. Where the bags go? I'll never forget when we trained in business, a pastor, a very elderly pastor, came to the report, to report, I think Dr. Charlie had come that time, I don't know. And he said that, I'm so happy that you came from Kenya because for many years I prayed God to give me a motorcycle, but it was in my farm. Because we trained him to do farming and he harvested 19 bags of rice, sold maybe three bags and got a motorcycle. So the, the things are there. We have to be committed to a long-term solution. Relief is good, but it should never be permanent. Jesus never put us on a relief diet. <laughs> he told that, you know, after three years he left. I always tell people, for me as a missionary... When I did that lesson in training, it always shocked me. Those who have read this book, Challenge of Missions, the last chapter it says, when Jesus reached in heaven, the angels were asking, Jesus, you failed. All those guys are hiding in their rooms. They can't get out. Do you have plan B? Jesus said, I don't have plan B. Then they told, the angels told him, you have, you have a failure. Those guys cannot do what you say. They didn't know in ten days' time, the Lord will send the Holy Spirit to empower them. 
and use the knowledge they had. So for me, the biggest resource we have on our continent is capacity building, knowledge, in different areas. When the Holy Spirit takes it, he will use it for his glory. It will cost money. Most organizations you are partnered with, thankfully not like Southeastern Empower, but other organizations, they don't fund training. They don't. They say it's too expensive. So we say to them, okay, that's okay. But you see, by continually giving things to people, you keep them in a prison. But when you give them the knowledge, they're able to resolve their issues. Like healthcare issues, like when you do health education on a regular basis, how do you treat a child when you have diarrhea? You're solving a big problem because this mother will go and share with the other mothers. It takes time, but that's what God has given us, knowledge. Okay. Okay. Okay, let me give you an example of, uh, let me give you an example of a program we did in Djibouti, because Ghana is four years, is too short to evaluate. In Djibouti, I went there when I was working with LI in 2007, and when I was sent there, LI was very young in Kenya, so they told me, write your own strategy, you plan your own things, you just go. <laughs> so we went, and one of the things we saw that there are three ways of getting helping Somalis. One is go work with missionaries. Two is identify churches in Kenya that work with Somalis, which are many, or go look for Somali believers. So we had three strategies. In, Soma, in Djibouti, we found Somali believers who knew the Lord, who are being discipled by missionaries. So we told the missionaries, okay, can you allow us to teach the Somali believers holistic ministry, and they can help you to take care of their needs in their community? So they said, fine. Uh, an American brother was very helpful. He mobilized all those Somali believers, and only seven came. Five Somalis and two guys from Congo. So we took them through seven days of intensive training, and then we left. By the time we told them to do the assignments, they had identified refugees from Somalia who are living in Djibouti in the slums. They said that these kids need a school. So they went and organized the kids, and they started teaching them. They got a bu- we helped them to get a building, rented a whole building, and they started a primary school. All the teachers were Somali believers. The government never knew. But they were able to take care of those kids. Many organizations were so impressed, European Union, uh, other international agencies, they started giving them money. No one had ever seen a Somali doing anything for himself. Because people do things for them. So when they saw these Somali believers, he was the headmaster, he was the teacher, they said, we will help you. The Catholic Church donated a whole library for them. After that, we met one of the ladies, she's a Somali, but she's born again, she sits on the board. She said, okay, God, will, God has given us a vision to reach prostitutes from Ethiopia in Djibouti. So they started a prostitute program. Now to me, I remember I cried for long, because for many years we had struggled with Somalis trying to babysit them but we will not allow them to do ministry because we think they won't understand it. But when they were given, 
They did it. The, can you imagine Somalis? People who knew the Lord only for 10, 5 years go back to rich Ethiopians who were supposed to be older Christians, but they did it. And up to now in LIS program, I know Djibouti is one of the most successful, sustainable programs they run. It's funded by many people. The core group we trained are the ones still running it. And that is 10 years. This is uh, since, since 2007. These seven years have gone. I could share the same thing in North Sudan, in Rumbek. Uh, those were yesterday where our brother uh, Kefa shared when we set up that program and he took over. And we told Kefa, no, you're not here to stay permanently. You have to leave. Now, the Sudanese runs the clinics. This clinic sees 22,000 patients per year by Sudanese guys who are trained. They have their own country directors. We no longer send in Kenyans. It takes time, but it can be done. I, I would really like to challenge you, those of us, the Lord has skills. If you can get mentoring skills, facilitation skills, teaching skills, the whole world is open for you. Okay. I've been in missions for long, and you find whether it's in Asia, whether it's uh, Russian republics, everywhere the churches are young, and they need to be trained in many things that God has blessed you. So the idea is go in and train them. Go in and believe in them. Go in and encourage them. You will see the church rising up everywhere. I have a lot of hope for for many places in Africa because the church is rising up. Okay? Even in slums, you go there, they do their good work. Okay? So that's one example, at least Djibouti and Sudan, because that was several years ago. Okay? Our time is up. Final question. Uh, we have a resource, we, we include a training in Ghana, by, developed by Tier Fund UK. And uh, it's a chart where you ask them to, you discuss like natural resources they have, social resources they have, spiritual resources they have. Then they fill in, you give them an example first, and then let them fill according to each community, because each church is in a different village. And then you're able to assess, they will tell you, we need a school here. We'll tell them, okay, we'll train your people, but give us space. They'll go, they have to convince the chief or get space. I'm not very interested to build a building for them. Because the most critical need is the teacher to be trained. The children are already there in the village. Like northern Ghana, these were Muslim communities. So we had incidences where we trained a church, and name, the neighboring school was mostly Muslims. But when they saw these kids were being taught well in English... All the kids, primary kindergarten, left and joined the church. We had that one being repeated again and again because they say, you know, Christians have good attitude. They love the kids. They're serious in their teaching. In the public schools, teachers don't turn up. So we tell them that we don't want to. People, there's a community. They say you're competing with the government, but the kids are too many. The 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 schools are full. So we use that resource to make sure that they understand what they have. Uh, those who are interested, uh, you can come here. I'll take your email. I'll send you. Because we developed that one in Ghana. We didn't have in Kenya when we began. How to analyze the assets of a community.
Okay. Okay, can we pray? Father, we thank you this time. We just want to bless your name. We thank you for this session, Lord. We pray for each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you that missions and ministry belongs to you. You have called us to be involved. We pray that for each one of us, we shall find our paths with you, Lord. We pray that you will teach us your ways. You reveal your, to us your strategies on how to be able to be a blessing to many communities all over the world. We pray that, Lord, you will walk with us even we wrestle, as we wrestle with different issues that we need to do to help others to walk with you, Lord. We pray that for your grace to be sufficient in our lives. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.